Amen. <clears throat> so last night, just before, while I was preparing and waiting on the Lord, sheesh, how did I get from that to all those things? Anyway, I, I heard the Lord last night just say, I want you to move into the impossible. Um, and I kept hearing this thing of the invitation into the impossible. Like the Lord was just saying, I want you to come into the impossible. I want you to move into the realm of the impossible. And, um, and I just started to pray. And to be honest, I was just waiting on the Lord for quite a few hours last night and uh, waiting for something to settle on my heart, waiting for something to drop. And then literally, like in the last half an hour, I was like, Lord, I am about to fall asleep here. If you don't speak, we're just going to worship for two hours. Like, Lord. And, uh, and he dropped this on my heart. And, and I felt him say, I want you to move into the impossible because it's the realm of God. And, uh, and it's funny because this morning as we began to sing and prophesy, that what came out of the prophetic song was that invitation that you are not born for this world. You are not born for this realm. You're born for the realm of God. That you're going to live all of eternity in a realm that's all about intimacy and oneness with Him. Everything that, that is around us, everything that we live in here is training us, preparing us, and teaching us about how to live in Him, like Him, and through Him. And He's put His very Spirit inside of us so that it's possible. You know, it's interesting, like, you know, there's this beautiful scripture, I think it's Luke chapter 2, where it says, all things are possible with Him, right? Nothing's impossible with God. And it's like, if we would understand that God takes delight in working in impossibilities, God is actually drawn, he's actually excited and encouraged by impossible situations. <clears throat> Jesus never saw any place as hard, difficult, or impossible. Do you get this? This stirs my heart. If you don't know, we're really passionate about unreached people groups and the 1040 window, and that's a whole region of something like 3.2 billion people who don't know Jesus. And Jesus is not looking at that and going, that's really hard. He's not. The reason why that, that place exists is because the church thinks it's hard. Or the church thinks it's impossible. But when we catch the, the dream of heaven, when we catch the perspective of Jesus, the, the shepherd of the nations, the desire of the nations, when we see what he sees, suddenly we'll see 3.2 billion people as an opportunity for the realm of God. See, the way that we're going to reach 3.2 billion people, the way that we're going to see whole regions come to know Jesus, the way that we'll see Johannesburg turned upside down is not because we finally get our butt into gear and we can tick the boxes and do the outreach stuff, even though that's beautiful and amazing, but it's because there's a people of God who are going to shift into the realm of God. It's a realm of faith. And then you're going to see a supernatural multiplication like never seen before. Let me give you an example. If you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, let's go there. <clears throat> find this really incredible. We're going to read a passage of scripture that's actually about where Jesus goes back to where he grew up, Nazareth, his hometown. And, and it's titled in my Bible, Jesus Rejected in Nazareth. And we're going to read this and I want to show you something really interesting. Verse 1, Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, um, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Okay. 
So here's Jesus. He comes home. He goes to his home synagogue and begins to teach and demonstrate mighty works, meaning there were miracles. <laughs> and, uh, and suddenly, these are people who watched him grow up. These are people who are going like, hey, isn't, isn't Mary your mom? Isn't the, aren't these your brothers and sisters here with us? Like, aren't you the carpenter's son? Aren't you the guy that we watched, you know, trip and fall and graze his knee? And it says they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I love that. He couldn't do like a mighty work. All he could do was just heal all the sick, basically. So... And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then, listen to this. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Verse 7. And then he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power of unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals. (laughs) And not to put on two tunics. Don't take an extra shirt. That's what Jesus said. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right, let me give you some context here. Jesus comes home. He comes to Nazareth. And he gets rejected by his own people that watched him grow up. And now, we, we've often looked at this passage of Scripture, and we think, man, you know, Jesus could do amazing things everywhere except Nazareth. And so, it just shows you, hey, if, if you're surrounded by people that don't believe in what you're doing, you can't, you can't do much. But I don't see that posture in, in Jesus' heart. In fact, I love that he, he's shocked at their unbelief. And then it says, he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. So, he continues to do what he's set out to do. He, he heals the sick. He's, he teaches and preaches. But then this rocks me. Then he went about the villages in the circuit teaching, and he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. Jesus responds to impossibilities by multiplying. You get this? Jesus was not going, oh my goodness, I can't believe Nazareth has rejected me, and like now I'm disappointed and I'm discouraged, and like who's going to get these people, who's going to save these people, and I've got to build my spirit up, and just give me a couple nights to go be with my father just to get my identity back, because that really hurt. Like, I love these people. I grew up with them, and they've rejected me, and, and like, just give me some time. He wasn't doing that. Jesus begins to see this. He's shocked by the unbelief, but he begins to shift into an expansion and goes village to village. He, he, he leaves the synagogue and begins to go out onto the streets, and he begins to continue with the great commission and the work that he's come, which is to introduce the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't see Nazareth as an impossibility. He used a moment of rejection to stir up a multiplication of what he was there to bring. Can you imagine? His, he didn't send out the disciples like, you know what? Like, we've got to try and fix this. And, and so we've got to respond to the, the rejection and send out more. It wasn't that. He, he was like, we've just been rejected. This is the perfect time to multiply. Can you imagine the people of God responding to impossibilities with that kind of faith? Like, imagine walking into work to share the gospel with people, and all you get is rejection, and you're like, this is the perfect place to be right now. What we should do is let's multiply. Let's actually tell more people. See, this perspective is how we're going to actually partner with Jesus to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Because let me tell you, you're going to go into your workplace, you're going to go into parts of Johannesburg, you're going to go into the nations, and you're going to find impossibilities that are, if you're not secure in Jesus, that can really rock your identity. 
you could probably feel really rejected and broken. Yet Jesus uses this opportunity because he's so secure in the Father to say, actually, this is where I'm going to activate my disciples. In a moment of rejection, in a moment of impossibility, I'm going to activate my disciples to reproduce the culture of heaven. And then, this is nuts. He goes, not only am I calling you to go, but I'm also telling you to take nothing with you. Like if it wasn't impossible enough, his disciples just watched Jesus, the, guy, the awesome guy, right? He just got rejected. It's like, so you saw what happened to me? Now let's get together and you're going to go do the same. You see this? And he, he, he gathers them together and he says, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you power to do what I, what I do. Then he says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take bread. Don't take any money in your belts. But make sure you wear some shoes. That would be a good idea. And then don't take an extra shirt. It's like, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm, I'm not quite understanding what you're trying to do here. We just watched you get rejected, and now you're telling me to basically strip everything. And I got sandals and a shirt, and you're saying, off I go. And he says, yeah, I want you to go because it's teaching you something. It's, he, what he did was, see, what, sometimes we look at this and we go, there's the model. The, the way to do uh, missionary work or whatever is you need to be poor. <laughs> nope, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's teaching in the realm of the impossible. He's saying, I want you to take nothing because I want to show you that when you lean into the realm of God, watch what I do. See, many of us, let me just say this very clearly. Many of us want to see God work in our lives, but never take a step of faith into the realm of God, into the realm of the impossible where he actually works. We live in a place where we go, I want to see God operate in my life, but I'm staying here where it's comfortable and safe, and I'll wait to see if he does something. That's not how the kingdom works. See, the invitation is step into a place of faith, because that's not faith, by the way. That's called presumption. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But faith is when you step into the realm of God, you actually believe what he's saying, and you follow him. Because let me tell you, I guarantee you, if you ask those disciples, how do you think Jesus is going to bring the kingdom? They wouldn't have said to you, he's going to send us out two by two with nothing except a shirt and sandals. That, was, that would not be the picture that they had of bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth. I preached this a couple weeks ago. The kingdom of heaven is not domination. The kingdom of God on the earth is not us dominating, being the top dogs, and, and being the best at everything. That's not the kingdom. Jesus took the lowly place. Jesus came as nothing. He, he took the lowly, meek place, and he began to serve and love people, and he introduced the gospel from, from grassroots up. He wasn't afraid to get into the mess with people. He wasn't afraid to model a life of complete dependency on the Father. He wasn't flashy. He wasn't even impressive. He was holy. Do you get this? When you looked at Jesus, it wasn't like, whoa, this guy's impressive and he's just got strategies. And man, his marketing is really good at how he manages to draw these crowds. And it wasn't like that. There was something about this man. In fact, Isaiah describes him and goes, you know, you, you might have actually kind of walked past him and not really noticed him if he was on the street with you. He was, he was like you and me. But there was something about him. What was it? It was his dependency on the Father through the Holy Spirit. He modeled this life of living in the impossible realm because that's where God does his best work. And so if you look at this, it really stirs my heart because I believe we will always be stuck as unbelieving converts if we stay in a place of hoping God will do something, but never having the faith to step into it. Are you hearing me? See, you can be converted to the Christian way and never know Jesus. There is a way of Christianity. It's religion. There is a, you, you can sign up 
for the, the list of things that Christians do and never meet the man Jesus and never have lived in the realm of God and never seen him come through for you. Can I, can I say it like this? Sharing one another's testimonies is really beautiful, but do you know that you're meant to have your own? Do you know that you are wired for the impossible realm? You're meant to have crazy stories. You're meant to live a life that's like, if God doesn't come through, I'm, I'm over. And here's what's beautiful. There's not a man or woman on the face of the earth that ever stepped into that realm, followed Jesus and trusted him and was let down. It's just never happened. Maybe it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen. That's a different story. See, I don't get to follow Jesus with my own T's and C's, my own terms and conditions. I don't say yes to Jesus and go, here's how you can work in my life. That's not how the kingdom works. It's a, a yielded surrender, laying down our life to follow him. Amen. Are you with me? And so I want to just touch on this quickly. There's a difference between faith and presumption. See, faith is actually receiving the word of the Lord through scripture or through uh, his voice or even through the community. Receiving it, believing it, and stepping into an action of faith, an action of response to him so that he can operate through our lives. Amen. Presumption is this. I'm pretty sure God said that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what he would want. I'm, I'm kind of certain it's an assumption. It's not obedience. The reason why we often live in presumption is because we don't have the patience to wait on the Lord to act in faith. Most of the time, we are so eager to see a, a result that we will lean into presumption first instead of waiting and staying in the tension of obedience. Because there's often something that the Lord's doing in the waiting. Sometimes the Lord's asking you to just wait. He's going to bring instruction. He's going to bring clarity. But the thing is, you need to make sure you're following Jesus and not your own desires, not your own heart. Do you hear what I'm saying? Presumption is... is, is Assuming beforehand, before God's even spoken, or before God's even given instruction, or before God's even led you, you've already assumed that he's going to do something. I can honestly say in my own life, and I'm sure in your lives, you could probably think of many situations right now where that's what's happening. Why are we doing this? Why am I handling this that way? Why am I doing this? I assume that that's what God wants me to do. I assume, and he's bringing us back to a place of going, it's okay to wait. It's okay to wait until you hear him. It's okay. This is, this is the Christian life. He's not actually in a rush. And I want to just say this as well. I, I mentioned last week that, you know, most of the time we are waiting for the Lord to give us an instruction. And if he doesn't give it to us, we kind of just, we, we're stuck. We don't know what to do. But sometimes he's discipling us through process. Sometimes he's like, just keep walking and I've got you, right? And there's a difference between this and presumption. Presumption is you making a decision out of assuming that that's what God wants, Process and journey is staying where God has you, being sensitive to what he's doing in this moment and watching it unfold, maybe not knowing what's ahead, but just sticking with him step by step as he's leading you, little bit, little bit, day by day, and watching how he begins to form and shape something in you. Are you with me? It's being discipled by the process that he's leading you through. Often as Christians, we want the answers straight away all the time, but you're not ready for that. Did you get it? Because sometimes we want the answers right now. God, I want to know exactly the result. I want to know exactly how it's going to look. I want to know what you're doing. And God's like, yep, there's a time when I give those, but there's also a time where I just ask you to follow me. See, Jesus wasn't giving answers to his disciples on how he was going to do stuff. 
Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And when are you going to actually deal with Rome? And when are you going to get rid of all this stuff? And he goes, it's not for you to know the times. Actually, what I want you to know is you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with power from on high to be witness. Like that has nothing to do with the question they just asked. They're like, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Actually, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to begin to be a witness for me to Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, all the earth. Jesus was not bringing the answers that they were looking for. He was discipling them, leading them as they followed him. Are you with me? I feel like I'm hitting something here. Do you know why? Because when you have to follow Jesus, you have to trust him. You have to depend on him. You have to trust that he knows where you're going. You have to depend on him that the next step is in his hands, that the outcome is in his hands. It's vital for us as a church to learn this lifestyle. This is how Jesus lived. I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father says. It's a lifestyle of dependency. It's a lifestyle of following him. Are you with me? I love that in an impossible situation for Jesus, it still looked like demonstrating the power of the gospel, healing the sick, and preaching regardless of the response. And he models something for his disciples, and then he commissions them and sends them from that place. God's actually called us to multiply in impossible situations. He's called us to expand in impossibilities. So right now, if you look at your life and you go like, okay, look at situations that seem impossible. Stop looking at it for the answer that you want and just start saying, Jesus, multiply your image through me. Multiply, make, your, make yourself known through my life. That in impossible situations, you're glorified. In impossible situations, what you would find in me is a heart after your heart. What you would find in me is obedience to you. What you would find in me is a demonstration of your heart and your power. Amen? It's interesting that he says, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet. <clears throat> Some of you walk into your work environment and you stir it up, fired up, like God's placed me here. I'm so excited. I'm ready to make disciples until that first rejection or until your boss undermines your character or says something about you or challenges your integrity or uh, somebody lies about you or somebody treats you badly or boss swears at you or the, the environment changes and the next thing you're like, geez, like I thought this disciple making thing was supposed to be exciting. I was really fired up on Sunday night to come to work and now it's like 3 p.m. on Monday and I hate this place, right? So many people live in that, that cycle of, of living. And here's the thing, man. If we would learn, like, imagine, imagine this perspective. Imagine you, worked, you walked into work on Monday morning, and the environment was heavy and difficult, and you can feel, man, it's, oh, there's so much going on. And you looked at that and went, ah, that's exactly where I'm meant to be. That's a good thing I'm here, otherwise these guys would be doomed. <laughs> you see the difference? The difference is, thank God that his, he's so merciful he sent me to this company. Because now I'm called to shine. Now I'm called to love. Now I'm called that when the, the, the boss is swearing at me that I've got a smile on my face, not disrespectfully, but because I genuinely feel compassion for him. See, what Jesus is calling us to walk in is compassion and authority. This is how we bring the kingdom of heaven. Because can I just tell you that Sunday gatherings is not how we're going to change the world. It's how we glorify Jesus. How he's going to change the world through the church is by the kingdom of heaven being at hand meaning it's within your reach, meaning it's where, where you go. So God's placed you from, from Monday to Friday. You are in a sphere of influence that's not this room. 
And so when you come here, you come here to, to worship him, to minister to him, but also to be encouraged and equipped so that when you go out, you are scattered servants in the city of Joburg, <laughs> carrying the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of Jesus, and it looks lowly and meek and servant-hearted. But it's carrying compassion and it's carrying power. It's carrying authority. And so now you're the one who will take the risk because you knew that you were sent in with nothing. I think God's quite kind that he actually puts you on the mission field and pays you for it. Hello. Like, imagine you walked in there tomorrow and it was like, oh my word, God's placed me in the deepest, darkest places of, uh, I won't mention corporate companies, uh, in a difficult place. I know where some of you work and I know it's tough. God's placed me in this difficult situation and he's also paying me to be here. You're a full-time missionary. You get it? You're a sent one. So I thank you, God, that I get to go. All the corporate guys are like, oh, my word. I promise you, if you, if you get this perspective, can you see how God begins to shift environments just by the way we see? Because if we'll get his perspective, we'll have the dream of God alive in us. We can step out in obedience. And suddenly you start to see fruit in the desert places. You start to see rivers flow in the dry places. We shouldn't be people who go like, man, this is, this is what happens most of the time. God gives you a word to go into a work environment or a place like that that's difficult, and you go there and it's hard, so you go, this must not be for me. I must be called to full-time ministry. <laughs> like, man, corporate sucks. I must be called to the church. If everybody does that, how do we change the world? Do you hear me? I actually believe when God calls you to an expression of, of ministry within the church, that's a very specific thing that he does. But I know that as he places you into spheres of influence, if we would catch his heart, then the impossible becomes exciting to us. Because you can't, shake my, you can't take my joy, you can't shake my faith. It's found in Jesus. I believe in him. He's already won. So you can say what you want to say. You can even reject me. But guess what I do in the midst of rejection? I multiply. Every time, this is what's so beautiful about Jesus, every time he does something supernatural, it's in an impossible situation. Just think about it. Thousands of people come to hear him preach, and they're all hungry, and his disciples are like, how are we going to feed these guys? And Jesus goes, you feed them. And they're like, uh, I don't have anything. And Jesus goes, well, what do we have? Uh, they look around, there's a little boy with some fish and, and some bread. And Jesus goes, that'll do. And then he multiplies this for thousands and thousands, and they have 12 baskets over full. Like, it's just, it's supernatural. It's the impossible. And Jesus is just in this flow of life going, I love, I love impossible situations because it's a place for the evidence of my Father. It's a place for the, the evidence of God to be manifest on the earth. His disciples are on the boat going across, um, and they, there's a huge storm, and they're freaking out, and they think they're going to die. And the next thing, here's this king of kings walking on the water. And the first thing that goes like, ghost. This guy's a ghost. Like, well, who, what the heck is that? Can you see, again, like Jesus' answer to impossible, impossible situations is always this supernatural demonstration of who he is, walking on the water. Like he, he was walking on the water in the storm first. Think about it this way. In the book of Acts, we see that the church is born, and she actually gets comfortable in Jerusalem over about 10 years, and she forgets the Great Commission and doesn't leave Jerusalem. Scholars will say somewhere around 10 years, she didn't leave. 
the church was having a great time. Thousands got saved in Jerusalem, and uh, they got so introspective that they actually forgot to feed some of the widows. <laughs> this gives uh, so much grace, like even the early church missed a few things. But for 10 years, they're stuck in Jerusalem until persecution comes. And suddenly Stephen is killed, and fear hits the church, and they scatter. And you know what's so crazy is that you look at this and go, whoa, okay, persecution just got intense. It just got really wild for the church. This doesn't look good, and yet the church starts to come alive and multiply, and suddenly Antioch is born. Do you see this? God takes impossible, difficult situations, and He releases supernatural grace on the church, and we multiply. If you would look at impossibilities with that mentality, you would get a little more excited about Monday mornings. You would have this bit of zeal in your heart like, man, this one looks impossible. I'm excited to see how God's going to do this. And it's probably not going to happen the way I expect. So following Jesus is this wild adventure when it's done His way. And there is only one way, and it's His way. And if we're doing it another way, we're not following Him. It's presumption. Can I just, can I just touch on this? Uh, I wanted to do this earlier, and I'm going to do it just pastorally around the prophetic. New Testament prophecy. If you don't know what prophecy is, that's a whole different teaching. We'll get into it, but most of you hopefully know what I'm talking about. New Testament prophecy is very different to Old Testament prophecy. It doesn't take away from Old Testament prophecy. It's just very different because it's New Covenant. So the thing is, we see that that prophecy is to edify, to build up, to encourage the church, always, full stop. And I want to challenge something here, because what happens is when we're following Jesus, sometimes if you don't know how to steward the prophetic well, the prophetic actually begins to take you away from the principles and the way of just following Jesus. We let prophetic words begin to define things rather than confirm things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Agabus, New Testament prophet, amazing guy. He comes in, he gives a prophetic regional word. He goes to Antioch because it's a a trusted community to release a regional word. He says famine is coming. We need to prepare. They raise funds together. They send uh, financial relief to the church in Jerusalem, and they respond rightly to prophetic word. Beautiful. He was accurate. Great word. Amazing. A little bit later, same Agabus has a word for Paul, and he takes the belt, and he ties... uh, his hands up and he goes, this is what's the, the guy who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. That's the word of the Lord. Then he adds to it and he goes, so don't go to Jerusalem. <laughs> and Paul goes, why are you doing this to me? Don't you know that I've already given myself to Jesus? I'm, a, I'm ready to die for him. Thank you that you confirmed to me what he's already told me, that I'm going to be beaten and imprisoned at every city that I go to. I appreciate the confirmation, Agabus. Thank you. That's, that's, the prophetic is confirming that I'm hearing the Lord right? But where we've got to be careful is when we start to add things like, don't go to Jerusalem. This is in the scriptures, man. New Testament prophecy, there's, there's an unhealthy pressure on prophets, and I want to just, or, or prophetic people, I want to take this off of us as a community, okay? This teaching that we've heard and received where it's like, my job is just to be obedient to release the word of the Lord, that's it. Nope. Be very careful when we begin to do that, especially in giving and receiving. Because here's the thing. If you you think that you're just called to be the mouthpiece, just the mouthpiece where the word of the Lord comes, it's my job just to deliver it, and then you do with it what you must. 
you're going to cause a lot of damage and a lot of destruction, and it's not building, it's not edifying, and it's not encouraging the body. It can bring confusion. In this house, every prophetic word that's given needs to be accountable to discipleship and process. Because if you have an encounter or a word, but you don't have discipleship, it gets wonky or weird fast. You get it? If you don't know how to, with integrity and accountability, outwork the prophetic, which happens in community, it happens in submission, it happens in discipleship. If we don't have the accountability that the prophetic needs, it becomes the opposite of what God gave it to us for. And we begin to edify a prophetic gift and a prophetic voice. And what I've seen, I watch prophetic people get weird when they feel like they have to prove themselves. Insecure prophetic people start to act overly spiritual and they have a word for everything. Can I encourage you, when you start to feel that, rather go quiet and wait on the Lord. reason why I'm saying that is because for the sake of prophetic integrity, our goal is to follow Jesus. The prophetic needs to bring breath and life to that pursuit. It is not your job as a prophetic people to make sure that people know what God wants them to do in their life. He's actually already got that under, under control. If the Lord gives you a word of confirmation, make sure that you submit it in a way of honor that, that is there to bring confirmation or encouragement or strength. It's why, for example, we teach this, and I'll just be basic. If I look at Richard and in the spirit I see a python around his neck, I'm not going to go up to Richard and go, bro, I see a python around your neck, man. There's a spirit of divination on you or something. Like, do you see what I'm saying? That, that is not the prophetic. And I also, the, the first thing that needs to happen, I'm, I don't know why I'm coaching us in this right now, but maybe it's needed. The first thing I need to do is, is understand that just because I think I've heard God doesn't mean it was Him. I can be wrong. Hello? So first thing is, okay, Jesus, am I, is that you or am I? I also have an imagination. I also have things that can, can develop that's not Him. And so is that you? And, and if it is the Lord, which that word probably wouldn't be because it's not how God operates, just letting you know. Um, that's probably witchcraft if you're seeing that stuff. But anyway, let's just use it as an example. If that was the case, what I'd be telling Rich is like, Rich, I actually see that the Lord's releasing freedom over you. And what's tried to suffocate you in this season, I believe the Lord's breaking that off because he's actually called you to fly, to, to flourish. I'm speaking because he needs to walk away with the testimony of Jesus. Are you hearing this? So I, I would be very careful if your prophetic words that you're seeing or feeling or releasing to people have negative connotations and you, you think that it's an encouragement by sharing it, I promise you it's not how the Lord works. Do you not think he already sees all the negative stuff? Do you not think he already knows about it? Why would he want to emphasize that? I don't think that's how the Lord works. In fact, I don't even see it scripturally. What I see is that he looks for ways to encourage your heart in truth because truth sets you free. Not fact, truth. Our responsibility as a prophetic people is to make sure we are always speaking, prophesying, and declaring truth over people. And yes, in the realm of the prophetic, we can begin to see things, and sometimes we don't always have understanding, and it's not about understanding. But the manner in which I steward prophetic words or the prophetic anointing must be with integrity and truth, always. And the truth that I'm talking about is the truth of the gospel. If it, if it would sound funny coming out of the mouth of Jesus, don't say it. You get me? I'm saying this because a lot of the time what we're doing is we find ourselves in difficult situations and circumstances and we're waiting for a word from the Lord or a prophetic word from someone. Someone comes and gives us a prophetic word and it rattles us because it means we are being led by prophetic words rather than being led by truth. If the prophetic word doesn't land to confirm what God is doing and it's being established, 
again, not just one word. It's being established with the people that I'm submitted to, accountable to, I'm processing with it. If it doesn't land on that, caution. Because there's also this reality, and I'm going to touch on this. Um, this is actually from Mama Yolanda. She, she shared something that really, oh, man, it triggered me. And it's so true. You know how people do this. They go, uh, I want to come for some counseling or some advice. And then they sit down with you and they tell you that God has already told them to do something. But they're here for a discussion. But God's already told them. Do you know what you do when you, when you, do, when you come and sit with someone and say, God's already told me this and this and this. You've already closed off any journey, any submission, any process. You've, you haven't even given the person that you're supposedly there for counseling with an opportunity to speak into your life. If you, here's what that statement is actually saying. If, if God has already told you, if you believe that God's already told you, and it's confirmed, done deal, what you're saying is, number one, you absolutely heard God and there's no possibility of you being wrong. And, and number two, if anybody was to speak into that, they're challenging God. <laughs> so you've actually closed off process. You've closed off discipleship. It's not going to create a healthy prophetic culture of integrity in the house. So what happens is we need to be aware of the fact that faith is stepping into the word of the Lord, but it also leaves me in a place of humility and accountability to the Lord, to the scriptures, and to one another, and to the leaders that God's placed in my life. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me moving in the right direction. Amen? Too many people have been derailed or, or discouraged and taken on these side trail journeys because they followed a prophetic word that wasn't processed in a healthy way or, or processed in discipleship. For example... Paul with Agabus, you're going to get tied up, you're going to get arrested, and you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Imagine Paul had acted on that. But I love this because Paul's going, he actually, he knew how to process, how to discern, and how to um, steward the prophetic word where he, he knew, okay, there's a confirmation that's come from the prophetic. I mean, he says, <laughs> can you imagine, this is the prophetic word to Paul, every city that you go to, imprisonments and, and beatings await you. That's an encouraging prophetic word. Most of us would be like, that's from the pit of hell. The devil is whispering things into my ear. I don't know what's going on. Imagine the Lord saying, yeah, tomorrow when you go to work, actually, yeah, it's a, uh, rejection and, and, and it's, it's there. Can I just say it like this? God's actually been ahead of you. So if you go to work tomorrow and there's rejection, he's been there already. He knew that was going to happen and he still trusted you to be there. So he obviously put something in you that he's excited about manifesting and revealing in that place. It's the seed of the gospel. Do you get me? If we learn how to steward the prophetic with prophetic integrity, if we learn how to be submitted to, to the Lord, submitted to the Scripture, submitted to one another, then the prophetic begins to empower us, confirm us, and it, it brings wind and breath into the sails of the church where suddenly we are propelled into the momentum of heaven. The prophetic is meant to, is meant to draw us, push us, and propel us into Christ, into who He is, into what He's called us to. Amen? See, it's interesting that he talks about how the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's an apostolic and a prophetic people, right? 
That's, that's the DNA of the foundations of the church. So the prophetic has to be foundational to building up the church. So in this house, I want to encourage you, when you begin to have prophetic words for people, you need to first posture your own heart in accountability and make sure that there's someone who can hold you accountable to that word. And then the manner in which you deliver it is important because you need to deliver it with integrity and accountability because you might be wrong. And what matters more than you being right is does that person come away with the testimony of Jesus in their life? Do they come away feeling the fragrance of Jesus? Do they come away feeling the love of God? In anything that we do, it's the same thing with healing. What's the fruit of what I've just done? Because I've prayed for people in the past where I went after the healing, saw the miracle, yet they actually went away and wanted nothing to do with Jesus because of the manner in which I went about it. You can push so hard that you get the result and miss the person. We don't want to be accurately prophetic and have no love. <laughs> you hear me? I'm sharing this in the context of if you're called to live in the realm of the impossible, God's going to say some pretty crazy wild things to you, and it's important for you to know how to steward the word of the Lord. Amen? See, again, maybe it's not so much about being right or being wrong. It's about Him. Imagine the confidence like Jesus where he's telling his disciples, uh, whoever will not receive you or hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet. Imagine the confidence walking into your, your work environment to bring the kingdom of heaven and you get rejected and shut down or whatever. And your confidence is like, well, okay, Lord, let's, what's next? Shake the dust off my feet. I'm free. I'm free to preach the gospel. I'm free to be who you called me to be. I'm not bound or my identity is not found in what I do. I'm not tied to this sphere of influence. I want to be faithful and obedient to the call of God. There are many Christians today who are still stuck in old spheres of influence that God's already moved them on from. And again, this comes down to the fact that if your identity is in your assignment, when God gives you a new one, you won't be able to move with Him. Your identity is not meant to be in your assignment. It's meant to be in Him. <laughs> It's in our nature to go. It's in our nature to multiply. It's in our nature to see the kingdom of heaven established on the earth. Don't get tied to the assignment. Because if you stay in the assignment when God's moved on, you get insecure and you start to become manipulative, controlling. <laughs> and then suddenly you, you, you begin to demonstrate this pseudo-spirituality because you think this is your assignment, but God might be saying something else. It might be time to take a step back and wait on the Lord. It's actually, can I just say, it's more effective for you to rather not move and wait until you hear him than to do something out of presumption. It's in, the, it's in the place of waiting that we feel most vulnerable in the true sense of the word, but it's actually where Jesus reveals his power. It's in the hidden place where God develops us, right? So if we learn to fall in love with the place of waiting on Him, if we learn to fall in love with the hidden place with Jesus, He's developing and shaping us so that we can be obedient in every assignment that He's given us because the assignments will change. The assignments will change. And I, why I'm, I'm sharing this is I'm saying, do you understand that God's called you to follow Him? He's called you to the impossible. He's put you in spheres of influence. You're in situations and circumstances right now that maybe don't make sense to you, but you're called to shine. 
And so the reality is stop trying to get an outcome to the situation and circumstance and just fall in love with Jesus in that place and try and live in the realm of faith where you say, God, I'm just going to stay in step with you. I'm just going to follow you. I'm letting your process disciple me and, and shape me. And if prophetic words come in this season, I'm, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to come and bring confirmation and clarity to what's happening in this time. But I will stick to you. I'm going to follow you the way, the man, Jesus. I'm not going to get wrapped up in, in a, the methods of Christianity and miss the man. I'm going to stay with my eyes fixed on him every step of the way. Why? Because I know that when I follow him, I come through smelling like Jesus. And, and See, here's the thing. We think that if the kingdom looks like uh, domination, then every situation has to go right for us. Do you get this? We have this weird understanding that like, if something goes wrong, I must have screwed up while I didn't follow Jesus. Well, just look at Jesus' life. It's not like the whole thing went really smooth and right. Like if you look at it externally, it's like, man, it was pretty brutal. Yet he was, he was walking in the will of the Lord. And again, it's because the majority of the Western-influenced church doesn't have a doctrine of suffering. And so we don't understand that actually in the suffering can be great joy. In the suffering can be opportunity for me to manifest Jesus. That when the situation is falling apart, not going so well, and it doesn't end up the way I thought, he actually might still be in the midst of that with me. Jesus is not afraid of difficult situations. He's not afraid of impossibilities. He's right there with you. And sometimes the answer that he's going to manifest in and through your life looks nothing like you expected. Can you imagine what was going through the disciples' hearts when he died? <laughs> he actually died. Like Jesus, the Messiah, who they walked with for three and a half years. They were so encouraged. Like, he's called me. The Messiah has called me. And I'm following him. And I'm watching thousands being fed and people being healed. And he's raised the dead. He's cleansing lepers. And then we're doing the same. And it's like, man, I am so ready for the next step when he finally gets rid of Rome. And then Rome kills him. Can you imagine? It's, I mean, it's so clear. They're sitting in this room. and I just picture the disciples like they're in fear. And they're sitting together in a room. And they're, just, they're all just staring like, what, what do we do? What just happened? This is not how we thought this was going to go. There was this really cool buildup, you know. And then, bam, it just fell apart. And if you, if you read John 13 to 17, he keeps saying this thing to his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 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 Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And they're like, but you just said you're going to die. And like, this makes no sense. And they're just freaking out. And in the garden of Gethsemane, they're shutting down for sorrow and they're falling asleep. Like, Jesus, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your, oh, I just can't do this, God. I do that. I go for naps when I'm stressed, right? It's just me. Ask Jesse. <laughs> Three hour naps. No, teasing. Not teasing. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is important for us to understand. See, Jesus was so confident in the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in impossible situations. Because just picture Jesus hanging on the cross and he's got to now actually sur surrender his spirit. He's actually going to die. And he's got to have such confidence in the Holy Spirit that I'll surrender my, my soul, my life, my spirit, and actually die and leave this realm and trust that the Holy Spirit will resurrect me. Do you, you see that Jesus even modeled this for you? He's not asking you to do something that he hasn't done. It's a supernatural expectation of the Holy Spirit in an impossible situation. Jesus is going, okay, I'm like in agony right now. I'm doing what the Lord has set apart for me to do for all of those that I call my own. And now I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit and I'm going to release my, my spirit and I'm going to die. 
And I think about John, like John really ministers to me because he's the one at the foot of the cross with, with Mary and he's watching this. Like he was the one who kind of stuck around. I love, like John, we went to his grave and I got so rocked by that, just thinking about this man. And can you imagine, John is the one who is so in love with Jesus. He's, he's, he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. I, I, I like John. Um, and he, he's standing there and he's watching his Messiah die and give, him, give his spirit. And I guarantee you, John was going, I, I remember the things that he said. I still don't understand how he's going to do this. But it must have been absolute shock. But can you imagine the moment when Jesus walks through the walls? <laughs> can you imagine when there's, I mean, I love that John, he outsprints Peter to the, to the grave. I, I really like John. I get him. Because it's like, you know, can you imagine they're depressed and then they hear this word that Jesus is alive and John is like full sprint. You know, he's full on like, you know, shoves Peter to the ground and just he's going. He's, he loves Jesus. He's so in love with Jesus. Sometimes the way things unfold are not exactly how we thought the Lord would do it. But he's answering impossible situations with supernatural answers. And our expectation has to be simply, Jesus, my life is yours. Your leadership is perfect. I'm following you and I want to see the word of the Lord established in my life. I'm taking the pressure off of how I think this should go and I'm simply following you. And my, my prayer, my desire is that you would lead me into the realm of God, that I would move from this natural realm into the realm of the impossible where you can do anything. But guess who's going to do it? You. I just give my life and I stay in faith and I stay in integrity and I stay walking with him, walking in submission to one another, to the Lord. I create an environment in my heart where he can do absolutely anything and I'll follow him. It takes the pressure off of you because he never wanted pressure on you. But what it does do is it invites you into an adventure that goes far beyond anything you thought your life could experience. So my encouragement today, just real simple. I want to be like Jesus in that in the face of rejection, my spirit gets excited to multiply the kingdom of heaven. That in, in, in situations that are hard, in situations that seem impossible, my faith is stirred with expectation because this is where God does his best work. And again, I can feel it in the room. Our minds immediately shift to like, well, the answer's got to be this because mu that must be how God's going to do this. It must, it's going to look like this because that's how God does things. Are you sure? Do you see how religion has trained our minds a certain way? To think that we, we can create God in our own image and decide for him how things are going to look. But the gospel doesn't look like that at all. Sometimes it's wild. Sometimes it's just, you just hold on for dear life because you're like, this is not how I saw this going. But Jesus, what an adventure to be yours. What an adventure to follow you. What an adventure that in the midst of trials and difficulties and circumstances that you would be glorified in my life. This is how the world looks at us and, and sees and tastes Jesus. They experience Jesus. I always say, you know, if, if the fruit of the gospel in our lives is there for people to, to taste and to feast on, there's seed in that fruit. And when they, when they see the fruit of the gospel in your life, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of difficult circumstances, and they taste of that fruit, there's a seed in that that begins to stir something in their hearts because they were born for him. Christianity is not a mediocre life. It's wild. And the Bible is full of stories 
of, of believers thriving in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of impossibilities. See, if we read this Bible relationally, we'll begin to understand the God of the Bible. If all you do is read Scripture systematically and you're trying to understand principles, it begins to become a manual to try and live a better life. God can't do that because this is a principle that He's got. Yes, there are principles of the kingdom, but He's a relational God. He's walking with you every single day. He's leading you every single day. Lordship doesn't look like dictatorship. Amen? There's a difference. So this morning, when you walk out of this room, my prayer is that whatever situation or circumstance you're in that maybe feels impossible or scares you, or maybe, maybe the thought of the result scares you, take all of that off of you and just go, Lord, in the midst of this, you're the God of the impossible. I want to step into faith and trust you. The outcome is up to you. But in this process, make me like you. I want to manifest Jesus. I want to shine. I want to walk in, in, in the integrity, prophetic integrity. I want to walk in spirit and in truth. I want to be a worshiper in this season so that you're exalted, you're enthroned, and you're known in and through my life. Nothing can take my joy. Nothing can shake my faith. I'm found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. I believe we're positioned as the church in this hour to arise and shine. Like I've been saying this last couple of weeks, it keeps coming up in my heart. Isaiah 60, arise and shine. That's in the context of deep darkness covering the earth. Arise and shine. That looks like something for your heart, for your life, and it looks like something for the church. Amen? So I want to pray for us. Will you stand with me? Just for two minutes, um, I'm going to, as your pastor, if you're a visitor, then just as your friend, um, I'm going to coach us for a second through something. And what I want you to do is we're going to close our eyes, and I want you to think of whatever thoughts, situations, circumstances are really weighty right now that keep coming up in your head and are trying to be the, the, the focal point of your, your thoughts. So whatever it is, maybe it's a fear, maybe it's a situation, Maybe it's hurt, maybe it's pain. Whatever that thing is, I want you to think about it, and then I want you to literally, in your mind, go, I bring that thought into submission and obedience to Jesus. Just, just literally by faith, you just take that thought, and you go, you're not more important than Jesus. And you just bring Jesus to the forefront, and you start to look at him, Jesus, you're worthy of my whole life. What you're doing right now is you're doing that is speaking to your soul. Jesus, thank you. Every thought, every situation, every circumstance that tries to exalt itself above you, we bring it into obedience. We bring it captive right now into obedience to you, and we surrender to your lordship, and we receive the renewed mind of Christ right now. We receive peace, and we receive the obedience of Jesus so that we can follow you. Father, I thank you in this space, in this environment, for the true prophetic nature and gift of Jesus, the, the true spirit of prophecy, which is the testament of Jesus, over this room right now. I thank you for a healthy apostolic and prophetic church. I thank you for lives deeply rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus and shaped and formed by the truth. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. 
So we welcome you right now. Lord, I break off every lie of the enemy. I silence every demonic thought, every um, influence that's not from heaven, that's trying to sway us in our uh, attitude, in our emotions, and in our thinking. And we position ourselves this morning just to be yours. Come and fill us afresh right now, Lord, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Fill us right now, God. We drink deep. Thank you for the love of God. Thank you that grace, like we said earlier, grace is, is taking us on that gospel escalator that, that keeps us moving up, 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 up. We're moving into realms of glory. We're moving into the more. We're moving into the realm of the impossible. And Father, right now, I ask for an impartation of the gift of faith to every heart. Faith to believe you. Faith to follow you in every situation and circumstance. With no terms and conditions. We don't want to be a people of presumption. We want to be followers of Jesus. This morning, I ask, Holy Spirit, if I've said anything that's not in your heart, would it be forgotten? But that which is of you, I ask that it would bear fruit in our hearts and lives, Lord. God, thank you that we came here this morning for you. We came here to minister to you and to be touched and changed and transformed. Lord, you've called us to live in the realm of God. You've called us to not be afraid of the impossible, but to speak and prophesy in the midst of those situations and circumstances. And so right now, with my family and my friends, God, I speak over every life. And I just say thank you for the government of heaven, the leadership of Jesus, the lordship of Abba Father over our lives. God, would you put the joy of our salvation in our hearts again? Would you stir us up to the great adventure of following you, your dream? There's so much more for the church. And Lord, I know that in this hour, you're positioning us, preparing us, and equipping us for expansion, for advancement, to see the Great Commission fulfilled in our city and in the nations, Lord. And so, God, we pray that dangerous prayer, have your glory in 24-7 church. Have your glory in our city. Have your glory in the nations, God. Make a beautiful, holy example out of us, Lord. We surrender to you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. I break off every spirit of discouragement and disappointment. Yeah, right now we're firing some demons that were hired <laughs> to bring discouragement and disappointment. No more. I release hope and joy. I release peace. Yes, Father, thank you for a people that cannot be stopped. It's an unstoppable, unshakable kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven, and it's within you. It's a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy, and it's in the Holy Spirit. And so, Jesus, I'm asking right now for an impartation of the life of God an impartation of the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit inside of every person right now. Wash over us, Lord Jesus. Wash over us right now. Lord, as 24-7, our prayer this morning is we want to move into the impossible. We want to live in the realm of God. We love you. We worship you. We worship you and we honor you. We celebrate you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Increase our awareness of your presence. Increase our sensitivity to you right now. Father, I ask if there are people in this room that need healing, I release healing. Thank you, God. 
physical healing, emotional, spiritual. God, thank you right now. If there's people in here that have never experienced you, God, I ask right now for a tangible touch from the Holy Spirit. Where hearts have been hard and cold, I thank you right now that you tenderize our hearts, soften our hearts, and release life. Lord, where there's been unbelief and just doubt and, and confusion or deception in our hearts, right now, thank you for the truth that comes and begins to shift and transform us, brings life and faith. Jesus, I thank you that you are walking in this room right now, touching every life, every heart. Yeah. God, I thank you for the supernatural word of the Lord that literally, I, I said in the spirit, it's like it, it's just beginning to clear the atmosphere. It's beginning to, to make the air clean over our lives that we can breathe in the grace of God, that we can breathe in the fullness of Jesus. Lord, every bit of pressure on people's chests and anxiety, and God, I, I thank you right now that that lifts, that we breathe in you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.